Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. My minions, you have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great land of the United States. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. You will pay homage to me and respect my knowledge for the next two hours as I guide you through the crazy world of sports, which is what we do every Saturday morning right here on the Balance Radio Network. 917-889-8516 is my digits. We're going to try this again this week. (laughs) As you know, we had uh, a uh, catastrophic failure last week. Uh, when trying to do the show. So my apologies uh, if you tried to download the podcast and say, wait, I was supposed to pay homage to the balance and El Presidente, and now I can't, and I'm eternally damned to the lake of fire. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a pass uh, for one week. Uh, we really don't really know what happened with our facilitator, but it uh, sometimes those things happen, and you just – Move on, as they say. Today, we're going to be trying this again. We're going to be uh, efforting to talk with Matthew Embry of Open Wheel Now, at Popular Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor, as we are getting closer and closer to the start of the 2018 IndyCar season. And uh, as you know, just a few weeks ago, we got NASCAR underway. And uh, IndyCar starts uh, down in St. Pete in the roads of St. Petersburg. So we're going to be talking with Matthew Embry here in just a moment. He is standing by in our balanced green room. Also, uh, we're going to be talking some NASCAR, recapping what happened out in Atlanta with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor for Speedway Digest. Also here in Indianapolis, where we flagship from high atop the balanced studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis. In Indianapolis is the NFL Combine. I had an opportunity to go down there earlier this week. Um, certainly all the big names and all the big players are here in town. Uh, Rich Eisen was here in town. Uh, a sighting of him, NFL Network's got a big uh, setup downtown at the convention center in Lucas Oil. Uh, so very, very exciting for the uh, city of Indianapolis. And, of course, uh, the NFL Combine, or as we like to call it, the Underwear Olympics. So Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, is going to be joining us later to break down the NFL combine and taking a look at the NFL. We'll be doing our little kind of sort of mock draft 
Rick Riggin from Evansville is going to be joining us as well to break down a lot of what's going on in college basketball, the big scandals that are going on, and who's been named, who's not been named. We're going to be talking about IU and uh, IU's coaches, uh, Archie Miller's brother, Sean Miller, out in Arizona. Uh, so a lot to unpack there. And, of course, we'll be taking uh, your calls and talking about sports. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Be right back, right here on the Balance Radio Network. told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything.
Welcome back to The Balance, 917-889-8516 is our digits. It's time to jump into our IndyCar segment and join us now from At Open Wheel. Uh, now is Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. How are you doing, sir? Interesting how this stuff works, huh? Just eight days away, 24-car grid as opposed to 20 last year. Uh, things look a lot better for IndyCar. Of course, though, it's not, you know, perfect situations consider at the end of this year there'll be no title sponsor and tv deal still in question so uh even though things are good in the short term right now or the long term there's still question marks obviously yes yeah, just eight days away i'll tell you what matthew before we get into uh st pete i want to talk with you a little bit because we didn't get a chance to do it last week let's talk a little bit about your uh grid that you've got up on popular uh op- popular open wheel now uh for your annual uh indycar uh grid uh for the indy 500 that you got up that we weren't able to talk about last week yeah i don't have the information in front of me but what i can tell you right now is i think it's you're gonna have two members from the front row for last year's race on the front row and scott dixon alexander rossi and assuming chevrolet gets its act together again I think Penske's going to be back up there. They can't be, you know, marred in mid-pack for the second year in a row as strong as they are. I think Edel Castro-Davis takes that second, that third spot on the front row. Ed Carpenter will be in the mix. I think uh, Carlos Munoz with Andretti is going to be up there. Uh, and then you look at the bottom half of the grid, assuming we have over 33 entries, which is uh, likely at this point. Uh, I don't feel good about guys like Kyle Kaiser, uh, Matt Least, uh, Pippa Mann, Buddy Lazier. Uh, I think they have some work to do just to even make the field at this point, and it's tough to say that. But, again, uh, when you have these full fields and go beyond uh, 33, uh, someone has to uh, end up going home. And, unfortunately, right now, if you're in the situation like for Buddy Lazier, who is without his main investor, Corey Krause, for this year, and Pippa Mann, who uh, now has to deal with three other teammates uh, that are getting the same amount of attention, et cetera, Dale Coyne, uh, the situation do not look for good for those drivers. And then certainly uh, for an A.J. Foyt team that disappointed, and then a Yunkos team that uh, still is trying to find its feet in IndyCar, uh, the situations are not the uh, situations you would say that are positive uh, for a big result. Absolutely. And as you know, uh, Danica Patrick's going to be back at the Indianapolis 500 wrapping up her career. She's going to be racing with Ed Carpenter Racing. Probably maybe not as big of a spectacle as it was uh, last year with Alonzo Fernando Alonzo, I apologize, uh, but certainly a big spectacle out at IMS when uh, Danica Patrick makes her return to IndyCar. It won't necessarily be in terms of success with Danica. What it will be, though, is in ticket sales, and that's what Mark Miles said he is banking on right now is that the TV ratings and the ticket sales will go up because Danica's there. Now, whether or not that means she's a contender for the race win, who's to say? But I think she is the second-best driver that ECR or Ed Carpenter Racing will have at the Indianapolis 500, and that's no offense to Spencer Piggott, but considering Spencer Piggott is still extremely raw on oval tracks, I think the better chances for a result, if you're looking for ECR to get a result, is probably from their team boss, Ed Carpenter, and then probably from Danica as well. Well, certainly we're getting geared up for the uh, Firestone GP out at the uh, streets or road streets of uh, St. Petersburg, March 9th through the 11th. Uh, Very exciting time. Talk with us a little bit about 
Hey, I tell you what, a lot of people might just be novice race fans or aren't the, the all-in, drink the Kool-Aid uh, type of people like you and I are, Matt. But a lot of people may not realize this, but St. Pete uh, track is actually through the streets of St. Petersburg, and this is how they kick it off every single year. So break down St. Petersburg and the Firestone GP coming up in just, well, eight days, as you said. Uses the main public roads, 1.8-mile layout. And of course, the front straightaway is one of the runways for the Albert Witted Airport in St. Petersburg. Uh, a very interesting track, multiple different surfaces, uh, a lot of question marks. I mean, there's four good places to pass at the end of turn one, you know, on the, on the airport straightaway, uh, heading toward turn four, and then uh, making turn 10, and then going down down Weldon Way to the final hairpin. But I think the big question in my mind right now is with a larger field and more inexperienced than in last year's field, uh, will everyone safely get through turn one on the first lap? That is a place where the track funnels. It's an obtuse off-camber corner, and guys sometimes outbreak themselves. So I'll be very curious to see how they get through there. I'll also be curious to see uh, what happens with turn three this year. They had to make a makeshift chicane on that section because they had track degradation in that area where the track came apart, and they had no choice but to create a chicane there so they could get the car safely through without, you know, a pothole issue. So the big thing in my mind right now is what have they done to repair turn three? And then obviously uh, the start of the race uh, with all these new cars and then obviously a bunch of new drivers that are not necessarily used to rolling starts and how they get their way through the turns. That's the big question in my mind uh, getting through and heading, uh, looking ahead to, you know, next Sunday is getting a clean start and then, of course, dealing with turn three, whether or not they're going to have that makeshift chicane there or not. And that's going to be one of the things I'm going to be talking about, for instance, in uh, an article that's coming up today on uh, popularwhelpwheel.com. In my track talk segment, I'll be talking squarely about how you get around and what the keys are going to be with uh, St. Pete. Well, you mentioned potholes. I tell you what, if we can do potholes here in Indianapolis, IndyCar can do potholes. No, I'm just kidding. Man, I, and, and on a side note, Indianapolis has turned into a minefield. You cannot drive anywhere in the city uh, without uh, bobbing and weaving and zigging and zagging. I, I tell you what, it's unreal. Let's talk a little bit about uh, just uh, some of the uh, looks into IndyCar as we look into the 2018 season. And uh, certainly I want to talk a little bit about Ryan hunter Ray. Uh, talk with us a little bit about Ryan hunter Ray and, and uh, his shot in the 2018 season championship. The question with Andretti, obviously, and it includes Ryan hunter Ray, is how well they're going to run on road courses. That's the thing that's absolutely killed them the last three years. Yes, they've won three of the last five Indianapolis 500s, but with now you know, less points being available for qualifying this year, and uh, even though, yes, double points are in play, uh, beyond that track and the other ovals on the list, which only make up a third of the schedule at this point, uh, I need to see more from Ryan hunter Ray on road courses if he is going to be uh, a championship challenger. I mean, looking ahead or looking back at last year, uh, that's the area where Andretti Autosport was weak. I mean, they were king of the hill at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway before they lost the engines. Of course, Takuma Saas still won that race. But uh, you look at, for instance, Ryan hunter Ray, ninth in points. Other than a fourth place at St. Pete uh, and a third at Watkins Glen, he was almost non-existent on the road courses. And, of course, a lot had to do with that with Team Penske and, Pens and Ganassi being dominant. But at the same time, though, you've got to be able to carry your own way if you're going to challenge for a championship. You just can't rely on a double points race, just one double points race, uh, to make your season. And I think Andretti Autosport tried to do that last year. And 
ultimately it hurt them. Now, if, say, he can have the results like Alexander Rossi did, who won, of course, Watkins Glen, uh, had several other decent results, a second at Toronto, a fifth at Alabama, uh, he could be right in the mix, but I just don't think he's going to be able to get there uh, compared to, you know, I mean, Penske's not going to fall on their sword, and you know Ganassi's not going to fall on their sword. I mean, the only thing that maybe is a saving grace for them now is there's only five cars they got to deal with instead of eight, like Penske and Ganassi had a year ago. But even then, uh, Andretti still needs to up, up their game a little bit, and I don't know if it's going to happen this year. And We know, of course, when we get to Indianapolis, me and you are down there, they will be competitive. Beyond that, though, I don't know. And that I don't know thing is not why you necessarily consider Ryan Hunter-Ray as a challenger for the championship. You view him as a challenger for the Indy 500 win, no doubt, but you don't view him as a championship contender. Well, absolutely. Well, he's had an Indy 500 win. He's had a championship. I don't know which is more important to him a champ or, or to the team, maybe, but I'm talking about as far as for Ryan Hunter-Ray, a championship or a, another Indy 500 win, but certainly you've got to think that another Indy 500 win uh, would be up there uh, for, uh, for, for them to begin with. Let's talk a little bit about Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon is always a tight competitor, not only for Ryan Hunter-Ray, but for everybody else in the track. Uh, give us a 2018 look outlook for Scott Dixon. Obviously, he's the one guy that can beat the Penske cars. Uh, there's no question about that. Now, can he avoid, you know, the bad run that he had from Iowa through Pocono last year when he placed no better than sixth? And in contrast, Joseph Newgarden placed no better, worse than second in that four-same-race stretch. Uh, you look at that possibility, and then obviously, of course, the question is just how much is Ed Jones going to be able to be counted on to provide success? I mean, he had a decent first half of the year with Dale Coyne racing last year, but then kind of floundered when he had to be the team leader after uh, Bourdais had his crash uh, during Indianapolis 500 time trials. So still a lot of unknowns about what Ed Jones could provide to the team. So I think it's going to be squarely on Dixon. Now, he could certainly do the job, but... Uh, He's not going to have the teammate support that, uh, say, a Joseph Newgarden or a Simon Pagenaud or a Will Power are going to have, and I think that's going to be a key uh, down the road. Now, granted, we have seen other teams like Grand Ray Hall and Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan prove they don't necessarily need a teammate to be competitive, but I think uh, for a team that is used to having multiple cars, uh, you kind of get into that head game where you've got to have you know, some support, and I don't know necessarily if Ed Jones is in a position to be able to give that kind of support to Scott Dixon in a first year with a power team like Chip Ganassi. We saw Will Power make a uh, run for the championship last year. Certainly, uh, I think improved last year in what we've seen in years uh, in the la- in the last recent years. Anyway, Will Power, 2018 lookout. What are you, what, are, what are your thoughts? He's got to avoid the DNFs, no question about that. I mean, he started off badly. He had three finishes of 13th or worse in the first four races last year. Added that, two more DNFs, uh, Toronto and Gateway, also failed to finish at the Indianapolis 500. Uh, be able to limit that. I mean, that's a difference of 80 points that he lost, and that seems to be the difference uh, in terms of the championship. If he had not had those DNFs, he would have been right up there with Joseph Newgarden challenging for the 2017 championship. Didn't happen. So I think based on what we know, and we know this for years, he is the best road racer on the circuit. The question is, can he get the car to the finish in most every race like Joseph Newgarden did last year and Simon Pagano did the year before? If he can, 
He is a shoe to win the championship, but I don't know necessarily if he can do that or not. Well, we won't see Elio Castaneves in a race car at St. Pete, but we will see him at St. Pete as he is the Grand Marshal. It's going to take some getting used to, I guess, if you will, especially if you're a huge Elio Castaneves fan. He has a huge IndyCar uh, following. We know we'll see him back here in uh uh, Indianapolis for the Indianapolis 500. Uh, so I say let's get a, an outlook uh, for 2018 for Elio Castaneves only because, uh, pertaining to IndyCar, only because this is his first year out. So we know that the outlook that we're, that we're talking about with Elio Castaneves is not with IndyCar per se, although he will be uh, in an IndyCar here at the Indy 500. He's going to be the Grand Marshal uh, there at the parade, I believe, in St. Pete. Elio Castaneves, what say you, sir? Well, as you, as I previously mentioned, gridatology, he's got to be right up there as a contender at Indianapolis for the 500, no question. Uh, you look at, uh, for instance, Sebring coming up for him next week. I'll be very curious to see what uh, Penske does. If they gotten a little more reliability out of that accurate they have, I think they could certainly give uh, the Cadillacs a big challenge there. And then uh, you look down the road, uh, Elio's got a good shot, you know, at the 500. The question is right now is Penske going to be more competitive and is Chevrolet going to provide him the horsepower necessary to challenge Honda? If they do, he certainly has a chance to win uh, a fourth Indy 500 championship. The question is right now, does he have the luck to get there? Because uh, unfortunately, I don't know if it was necessarily luck last year that kept him out of winter circle against Takua Sato. It's just the simple factor is he didn't have the horsepower to be able to keep up with Sato. So, that's going to be a question mark, and I think that's going to be a big uh, concern when we get to Indianapolis to start of the month uh, in May. Just how will the Chevrolet cars fare against the Hondas uh, looking ahead to qualifying? If there is a gap in pace again, like there has been the last couple of years, uh, could be another long uh, month of May for Chevrolet, and certainly for LEO and for Team Penske. We're talking with Matthew Embry of the popular at Popular Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor, getting an outlook for the 2018 season as the season kicks off March 9th down in the streets of St. Petersburg. We've been kind of uh, talking about the drivers for a few minutes. Let's look at the stables uh, across to, uh, across the, the, the landscape, if you will. Let's start with uh, Graham Ray Hall Racing. Uh, talk with us about that stable in 2018. Very Hall Letterman Land again for the first time in several years in our multi-car operation. Uh, Graham Ray Hall, one of the team leaders, Takuma Sato, defending the Indy 500 champion, who used to drive for Ray Hall Letterman Land again in 2012, is now with the team as well. Uh, be interested to see how the information trade-off goes, and uh, I'll be very curious to see uh, with the addition of Sato how they fare, particularly at uh, Indianapolis, because we know Sato could be competitive there based on what he did in just one year with Andretti, and. Uh, you know, Ray Hall has shown flashes that he could be there. It's just he hasn't been able to get, you know, among the front runners. And uh, But uh, we know on road courses that 15 car, regardless of what the situation is, will be out and will be contested. I remember that swept both legs of the duel in Detroit. Uh, so I think you're going to see a very solid team. Uh, the team I think that's going to be the big question mark, and I think you're going to get to it in a sec, uh, in my mind, is Smith-Peterson. No, absolutely. That was on our list to talk to you, so go ahead and jump to Schmidt-Peterson. This is a team that absolutely blew up the entire team during the offseason. Uh, the only thing that has stayed the same is James Hinchcliffe is the driver of one car and Aero Electronics is a sponsor. Uh, Alan McDonald was uh, released. Uh, another one of their chief mechanics was released. 
Uh, Lena Gade, who used to work with uh, Audi Sport Team Yost in the World Endurance Championship for the FIA, is now the lead engineer. Uh, very curious to see how this works out. And, uh, and then, of course, you also have Robert Wickens, who is trying to make the same uh, jump that Dara Franchitti made uh, from DTM in Germany to uh, IndyCar. Eventually worked out for Franchitti, obviously, with his multiple IndyCar championships. But the question is, in my mind, is just how competitive is Wickens going to be in race number one when we get to, you know, Phoenix and Indianapolis, because he is very raw when it comes to oval track racing. And that's why, for instance, in Gridatology, I only have him 30th on my initial list, because I just don't know how competitive he's going to be, considering he has absolutely no experience on an oval track. Well, I want to make sure that we get uh, most of our teams in. So uh, some teams that I want to talk about uh, is uh, obviously Ed Carpenter Racing. Danica Patrick is going to be racing for Ed Carpenter uh, for the uh, Indianapolis 500, but Ed Carpenter Racing as a whole. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais is back with Dale Coyne Racing. Uh, we've got uh, Juco's Racing and, of course, uh, Chip Canassi, Tim Ting Pinsky, and Andretti. So wrap up all the stables for us. Uh, who's going to be the, the, the one to challenge for? Obviously, we always say that Pinsky's going to be there. We always say that Canassi's going to be there. But let's uh, talk and uh, get a look inside the garages at 2018 uh, IndyCar season. Well, we've already talked about Petsky and Ganassi. Let's take a look. Ed Carpenter, obviously. Jordan King is driving the road course events for Carpenter. Piggott now with a full season. I'm curious to see how he fares. Uh, Harding Racing right now going full bore with Gabby Chavez, possibly with a second card, a few more events. Uh, Yunkos, I mentioned, at least eight races for now. Rennie Bender will be in the 32 machine for St. Pete. Uh, Jack Harvey with the Michael Shank team is running a limited schedule. They start out at St. Pete as well. And then... Like I said, Coyne will be interesting to see if uh, Bourdais can last the year, what he can provide. Uh, they've added two investors, Jimmy Vassar and James Sullivan. It'll be interesting to see how you know their support adds to what they can provide. And then, obviously, uh, that second seat uh, being shared by Zachary Clement de Mayo, who will be in the 19 at St. Pete, and then Pietro Fittipaldi, who will be in the 19 for the Indianapolis 500, how that car will go along. The X factor, in my mind, though, is Carlin. Uh, a lot of experience uh, with Max Chilton and Charlie Kimmel having driven for Carlin in Europe. Uh, I think this could be a team that could turn a few heads, and who knows, maybe in the right scenario could uh, steal a podium, if not a victory, before the season is out. I think that is the upset special team uh, looking ahead to 2018. It's just how good is this Carlin operation going to be because they have sacrificed everything. They have given up their Indy Lights program, for instance, to focus squarely on trying to make this thing work in IndyCar. So clearly Trevor Carlin uh, wants to be successful, and he is willing to do whatever it takes to get them to the promised land, and he's done it in the lower division. Now the question is, can he do it uh, in the big time when he makes his move up to IndyCar this year coming up next weekend? Matthew Embry's been talking with us in our first segment here, our IndyCar segment, uh, talking with us about St. Pete and the 2018 season. Let's shift gears just a little bit. We're going to get deeper into this into the second hour. Uh, but I know that you uh, cover Notre Dame basketball. Notre Dame, on a smaller scale, was named in a lot of the FBI talk as, as far as meals and that sort of stuff go. Not on the larger scale that we heard ESPN do a report this week on, on uh, the brother of Indiana coach Archie Miller, Sean Miller. Now let me talk about that for just a moment moment and I'll get your thoughts on it because I did see your tweet uh, yesterday uh, but I do I do want to point this out that ESPN to me has taken a nosedive to me I don't consider ESPN a credible news source 
uh, anymore. Now, I, I wonder since I, uh, Yahoo's been the one releasing all this stuff regarding the FBI scandal, why they're not the ones that released this story. And when I, when I go back and I've heard the uh, press conference of Sean Miller multiple times, I went back and listened to it several times, trying to, trying to weed it apart, trying to pull it apart. Here's the thing. He admits freely that he that somebody had a conversation with him about paying somebody a hundred thousand dollars. That money was not paid, and I I, I kind of believe it because here's the thing: what what uh, what ESPN would lead you to believe that they that they were involved in paying a hundred thousand dollars for a player to come to Arizona. Now, according to if we're to believe uh, Sean Miller, that never happened. The conversation happened, but it never happened. So ESPN is partly right, but they led you down a road and let you uh, kind of believe your own little things and say, hey, and they put that doubt in your mind, and then you think, well, it came from ESPN. It better, it's, it's reputable. They lead you to believe that there was money exchanged. Now, he's not denying that he might be on a wiretap, on a phone line, talking about somebody, but that money was never paid. So at the moment, I'm going to reserve judgment, but, but it's going to be one of two things. Either ESPN is very right or ESPN is very wrong. And I hope, for their sake, they got it right, because if they didn't get it right, there's no more ESPN. Go ahead, uh, uh, Matt. First thing in my mind right now is if there was any question as to whether or not this was true or not, Jay Billis, who is, by the way, in addition to an ESPN analyst, he is a full-time practicing attorney. He would have stopped ESPN and Mark Slaybach from sending this story in the first place. He would have stopped them. So the fact that he didn't put his foot down and say no, no, no to this, I think is very telling. Now, I don't think that Sean Miller intentionally tried to deceive the NCAA, et cetera, but do I believe that he did something where he violated NCAA rules? Yes. Do I believe that he is the only coach, though, that is doing this? No. Rick Pitino, John Calipari, there you can go up and down the list. Even Kelvin Sampson, who, by the way, Kelvin Sampson now has a job at Houston. I think he that does no right to be a head coach with all of the things that he has done illegally in the right. NCAA during his tenure, particularly at Oklahoma and also at Indiana, obviously. But I think you look at down the line, it is spreading it is a mess right now, but I think the thing that really bugs me about this is why they believe male student-athletes should be paid and female athletes should not be paid. That is a direct violation of Title IX, and I think it stands against everything that the NCAA stands for. So if you're going to pay athletes, you better be paying both male and female athletes. If you just go one route on this, you're going to have a lot of people on that Title IX thing that are going to be very, very upset about what's going on. And let's say it, two big athletes and female athletes at Arizona right now, former softball player James yeah, Finch, so- who was a star in the Olympics, and Leo Brian Amico, who was a star in the Olympics as well. What would they say to Arizona, who would be willing to back male athletes as far as making sure they get paid but not paying female athletes? I'm sure they would not be equally happy about this situation either, I think that's the biggest thing I have right now is it's a double standard. You, if you're going to pay one set of student-athletes, you kind of have to pay all of them. That's where this tricky slope is. So I don't condone, and I don't think Sean Miller is the only coach that's doing this, but do I think that he did violate NCAA rules and what he did with DeAndre Ayton? I believe he did. 
Absolutely, and that's a great teaser for the second hour because we're going to be uh, diving uh, nose deep into this in the second hour. Uh, we're getting ready to start our uh, NASCAR segment. Uh, Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, standing by in the green room. Uh, Matthew Embry's joined us to uh, out get an outlook and, and, a, and a peek into the 2018 IndyCar season. Obviously, St. Pete coming up March the 9th, opening up the, the 2018 season. Uh, Matt, you want to stick around and talk some NASCAR with Steve and I, or do you got you to go? Got a few things to take care of. As I mentioned, don't forget to check out my article coming out shortly here at popularopenwheel.com. Uh, we'll say all the questions about uh, looking ahead to St. Pete and the layout. Uh, tricky little 1.8 layout, but uh, it's going to be a very competitive race coming up next weekend. And obviously we'll have more stories coming up, including uh, my colleague Ashley McCubbin has a look at uh, Indy Lights, which while Indy cars looking good, Indy Lights may only have a nine-car field when we get to St. Pete uh, coming up next weekend. All right, Matthew, we appreciate you joining us, and we're going to be talking with you quite extensively as we get the IndyCar season underway on March 9th down in St. Pete. Have yourself a good weekend, sir. Anytime, Tom. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor from at popularopenwheel.com, uh, and also uh, chiming in on the NCAA scandal. Scandal! Who loves a good scandal? Standing by is... Uh, Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor. NASCAR is definitely underway. We're going to recap Hotlanta and look what's going on in Sin City out in Nevada, Las Vegas. Las Vegas, Nevada. I had it backwards there. Be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. What y'all trying to do? Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. 
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquisell, President Jay. Thank you to Matthew Embry uh, for jumping on and uh, opening up uh, some conversation about IndyCar going into 2018. Joining us now, though, is... Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself today? Fantastic. I'm glad we finally got some sunshine here in Indianapolis. The snow's moved away. The rain's moved away. I think, I'm not trying to jinx it, but I think spring might be right around the corner. And so exciting it is. Let's talk a little bit about Atlanta before we get in to what's going on in, out in the desert in Las Vegas. Atlanta, great race. I tell you what, we've been treated with two really good races, and we have not had a chance to talk since the Daytona 500. So certainly we want to get your thoughts on that. But I think Daytona, this year's Daytona 500, was probably one of the best races I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of them. Kevin Harvick obviously was freaky fast last uh, week, and I think it, he, it, it just gave us a preview into what Stuart Haas – Excuse me, I'm still battling this cold, though. Uh, what Stuart Haas Racing uh, has in store for us in 2018. So uh, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts about the Daytona 500. I know you were down there, and it was pretty exciting for you to be down there and in that environment. And then, of course, a recap uh, last uh, week's Atlanta, and then we'll get into what's going on in the Camping World Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Monster uh, Energy Cup Series uh, in Las Vegas this weekend. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, down back down in Daytona just a couple of weeks ago to kick the season off. I think we saw some really, really great racing down there. If you go back and look at the Xfinity Series down there, the the NASCAR had to come out with another digit out there uh, for the closest race in National Series history out there, uh, 0.10 of a second or just under three inches separated from Tyler Reddick uh, beating uh, Elliot Siler to the line down there. I mean, that was, you know, uh, uh, we had five restarts to get to that. And I think, you know, we, we saw a race that was every bit as exciting all the way down to the end and what we naturally would see at a place like Daytona. As far as the Daytona 500 is concerned, I mean, you know, uh, I guess some people are a little bit, there's a little bit of controversy or may have been a controversy here at one time. With uh, you know the way that Austin Dillon, Austin Dillon, Eric Almirola, and the others who were just battling for the lead out there, coming off a of turn three, and uh, you know it was you know uh, Eric Almirola who eventually got spun out in that deal, and Austin Dillon ta- brought the number three uh, Chevrolet for Richard Childress racing back home to victory lane in the Daytona 500, 20 years after Dale Earnhardt Sr. had done so. Uh, so I mean, there's a lot of you know, a lot of, you know, just enthusiasm and positivity around that. But, you know, the Richard Childress Racing this year went down to two cars, uh, which is Austin Dillon and 
Ryan Newman. So, you know, they're, they're starting to rebuild that team because that's, they feel like they had spread themselves just a little too thin over the years. And, um, you know, I think it just – we saw some of that. Now, you know, since we've gotten out of Daytona, it looks like the Fords are much better than either the 2018 Camry, which was introduced last year, and the the new Chevrolet Camaro that the – the the Monster Energy Series has also debuted. Uh, they've had a lot of speed. They had a lot of speed at Atlanta, especially Kevin Harvick, that just seemed like he could do whatever he wanted to do with the car. And this tomorrow in the Pennzoil 400 at Las Vegas, three Fords are starting in one, two, three uh, out there. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we, we're seeing some change around over on the Ford camp right now with a lot of these, a lot of those cars and a lot of engineering finally uh, catching up to their competitors. Now, you know, Ford is still looking at changing their car out, even potentially it's, it's closes next year, the year after that. And what that is, is remained to be seen. But right now it seems like they are on the top of the crop right now, and especially Kevin Harvick. Well, let's uh, talk about uh, some of the uh, uh, highlights and lowlights of uh, the uh, race out in Atlanta last week, uh, the uh, Folds of Honor uh, race. Uh, talk with us a little bit about some of the, the, the things that you saw that may have stood out, what we would call lowlights, and, of course, the highlights of, of Kevin Harvick coming back for a great win. Well, some of the lowlights that I think, you know, kind of shadowed the weekend, especially in the Monster Energy Series, is that this year NASCAR has gone to issuing pit guns or the the tire guns to all of the teams. They're about $900 a piece to lease them for the weekend. And, um, <clears throat> you know, this is something that teams in the past had spent lots of money on. I mean, we're, we're talking five digits or so, you know, on these pit guns, specialty pit guns. And every year they seem to be more complicated and more, uh, you know, a lot more money put into these. So NASCAR and the teams and a lot of people got together and said, well, why don't we just come up with a common gun and put it all together and um, issue it out to the teams. That way that nobody can go out there and potentially manipulate guns and try and get a tenth here or thousandth there because they've uh, re-engineered a gun. Um and, you know, unfortunately what that is is that last week we had three pick guns. Kevin Harvick was one of them. Uh, the eventual winner had a pick gun issue as well as uh, several others that had the same thing. I don't think that was a very good showing for the gun. And, you know, hopefully NASCAR and the engineers that are working on these guns can kind of get this back in, get this wrapped up and figure out what the problems were and get them back out there. And, you know, we can get some reliability out of the guns. I think if it would have just been maybe one or two, it would have been one thing. But when you start having three out there that are failing on a weekend, I think, you know, we start having a little bit of issues with the gun. But, you know, again, this is what the teams asked for and this is what the teams got. As far as the highlights of it, you know, Kevin Harvick seemed to be able to master the 22-year-old surface out there at Atlanta, and, you know, that was a very green racetrack out there. It had rained the majority of the morning. It took some time to get the track dry, and we started about two and a quarter or so hours behind schedule because of that rain. Uh, but, you know, no matter what, at the end of the day, Kevin Harvick, it didn't matter where he was. He didn't always start at the front, but he was able to motor to the front very quickly. You know, Danny Hamlin did try some off-style off, off style pitch strategy to get out there and potentially get 
uh, Kevin Harvick behind the eight ball, but that didn't seem to matter at the end of the day. Uh, it, Car- uh, Harvick was the class of the field. He was able to save his tires and uh, go on to victory lane out there. Does Kevin Harvick get 100 wins uh, by the end of this season? Oh, I think he's uh, rating he's he's rating that class that could potentially get him you know above the threshold out there. It um you know I I I, I look what he did last week on the 1.5 mile track out there in Atlanta. Um, they were very very fast out there as as I've already kind of talked to you just a little bit. And I I think it, you when when you can start working on a track like that it, it definitely um, helps out. And then this week he's going to start on the outside pole, but right beside Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney, uh, you know, a very young driver, but a very experienced driver at the same time. And I think Kevin Harvick can again. Uh, they don't clo- call him the closer for no reason. And you know, if he's starting up there in that top two or three or five. Um, you have to bet on him every single weekend. Kyle Busch wins out at the Truck Series, Camping World Truck Series uh, in Vegas uh, uh, for his 50th uh, truck victory. I think he's going to be a lifer in the Truck Series no matter what happens uh, with him in, in, in other racing uh, forms. Now, Kyle Busch, am I, am I correct on this? Last week he actually lost a, a tire uh, in the race out in Atlanta. Am, am I correct on that? Yeah, so last week at Atlanta, you know, he had come down to pit road, and they had originally called for a four-tire pit uh, on that. However, they got into it, and the next thing, they had some issues getting the tires off the right side of the truck. They went around to the left side of the truck. The left side rear tire changer had gone ahead and taken the lugs off while waiting for the jack to drop on the right side. At that time, Kyle Busch and the crew chief, they called a little bit of pit strategy there. They went with two tires. Kyle took off, went to the end of pit road, and the tire that all the lugs had already been removed from on the left rear uh, fell off the truck. So that got some suspensions out of that one. Let's talk a little bit about the truck race last night in Las Vegas. Uh, I love the Las Vegas races, but it just means I've got to stay up a little bit later. And, you know, on a school night, you know, I don't know. But anyway, Kyle Busch holds off Johnny Sauter to win out at Las Vegas. And certainly I think lap traffic, you might agree with me on this, uh, Steve, is that cost uh, uh, Moffat the chance at victory at the, at, at, at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, give us the highlights and the lowlights of last night's uh, Camping World Truck Series in Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, Moffitt was on his way there in the closing stages to win that race. However, as you just said, you know, there was some lap traffic out there that got in his way and put him very far behind, allowing Johnny Sauter to get around him, you know, for second. And, you know, he was just never able to uh, get back to the tailgate of uh, Kyle Busch. However, you know who I was really impressed by last night was Stuart Friesen out of Canada. Those guys had uh, worked are working with GMS racing in the truck series. There's a, you know, there's, there's some information sharing. There's some mechanical uh, work that's being done in their shop versus them doing it all on their own. And he was able to hold off Kyle Busch for a good two thirds of that race. It seemed like Stuart Friesen was just able to put that truck wherever he wanted in the race. Now Kyle may have been messing with him to some degree, but you know, when, uh, Stewart was able to pull out by a, a second and a half or so over Kyle Busch. I think, you know, he he was starting to really impress a lot of people in the field last night. 
I did think at one point that he was going to be able to hold off all the charges, and there were some very massive charges against the front of that field last night. They were going two, three, four wide, you know, out there for the for the lead. Uh, you could throw a blanket basically over the top seven last night in that event, and it was just anybody's game I felt at that point. But no matter what charge, you know, those uh, Kyle Busch, Johnny Sauter and others, Brett Moffat and, you know, several others that were just right there behind Stuart Friesen. He seemed to be able to just take that truck even three or four wide and come out with the lead every single time, it seemed like almost. So I was very impressed by him at the at the end of last night. I think that, you know, with them moving over to GMS Racing and have a lot of uh, help from those guys, it, it's definitely improved their program this year. Um but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Kyle Busch, this is the first time he actually won in his, uh, at Las Vegas in the Camping World Truck Series, which he got his 50th series, 50th series win out there. He's one away from the all-time record out there in, in, that, in that truck oh. series. We're talking with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, editor and publisher of Speedway, Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Let's take a look at you, the uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, we've got the uh, Boyd Gaming 300 today, I believe. Uh, talk with us a little bit about the Xfinity Series as we look at Elliott Settler, Tyler Reddick, Ryan Reed, uh, uh, Ryan Truex, Spencer Gallagher, uh, Christopher Bell, Justin Algar, uh, Ross Chastain, and uh, Gaz Grella, and Brandon Jones round out your top ten in the Xfinity uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series. You know we're gonna, you know we're gonna see a totally different style of racing. Last night in the Camping World Truck Series, that we saw a lot of these drivers out there uh, just being able to pull up onto the tailgates, be able to go out there and race three and four wide out there. We're not necessarily gonna see that again today in the Xfinity Series. Uh, you know the Xfinity and the Monster Cups, uh, Monster Cup Series. You know those two series have not been as uh, you know, uh, racy or been a, been as competitive as we we saw last night in the truck series, but you know, nonetheless, you know, this is a track that you know there is a lot of arrow into this track. There is some drafting opportunities into this track, and when you start talking about somebody like an Elliott Sadler or somebody like that that's that's already up there in the top ten and practices, uh, he's going to be able to use that air and that veteran status rate. Uh, over some of the others. Although Tyler Reddick is starting to impress, he had won just two weeks ago at, at Daytona, and you know that team has coming over to that team. They've really built a strong foundation, and um, they're they're really trying to capitalize on some stuff and improve that team this year. So I think you have to do have to watch out for Tyler Reddick. That that that's for sure. As far as Ryan Reed, Ryan Reed has not been as successful on these 1.5 mile tracks. He's um, been very successful in drafting opportunities, which we've seen at uh, Daytona multiple times with him going to victory lane, and I think that's where he can shine at a track like this where there is a lot of wide-open driving and a lot of drafting opportunities and to some degree down the back stretch and down, you know, down through the turns. We're talking with uh, Steve Wilson. Let's talk a little bit about the Boyd Gaming 300 today. What are some of the things that we're looking for in today's race? You said we're going to see a different uh, style of racing. And certainly uh, 
I, I think that we're seeing, it might just be me, but we're seeing faster cars on the track. I, I feel like for NASCAR, the speeds have increased. And I think that we're, we're seeing a, a better machines out there, if you will, or if, if you want to call them that, or race cars. I think we're seeing better drivers. We're seeing younger, better, faster drivers. I think we're seeing a more competitive NASCAR series than we've ever seen before. What are your thoughts? Well, the competition level has just, you know, increased year over year. And the younger these drivers get, the the more the competition does increase, not only for the young drivers that are coming into the sport, but these veteran drivers too. You know, they there's a lot of uh there's a lot of work that has gone behind to get this series or NASCAR to the way it is, especially with their NASCAR Next programs and some of the other programs to bring drivers into the sport. I would argue that some people would think that, you know, the younger and younger the driver is, you know, it's not necessarily the best for the sport, but, you know, it does bring continue bringing that fresh blood into the sport that we so need. I mean, you look at over the last couple of years with as many star-style drivers that have left, Tony Stewart, Jeff Gordon, uh, Dale Jr., you know, Matt Kenseth, you know, these are drivers that have been in this sport for you know, two decades, are going on two decades plus. And, you know, while they were superstars in the sport and many of them were still very, very competitive uh, at the ends of their careers, uh, you know, everybody does have to get out of the car for their own reason or at some time. And, you know, with NASCAR really just putting together these programs to kind of fill that gap, and especially we've seen some of that gap being filled by the Ryan Blaney. We've seen that gap filled again by the Chase Elliott going back to the number nine car that his dad drove through a majority of his career and put in victory lane multiple times. So I think, you know, this only captures some of those, some of those people that maybe have been looking for a new driver or some drivers that have been around the sport or sorry, some fans that have been around the sport for quite some time. And then they can kind of hook off, you know, that number nine, the legacy of that number nine that they remember, you know, many years ago with Bill Elliott driving the car, but now they can root for his son, that Chase Elliott. But, yes, some of these these cars are getting faster. We're seeing better competition because these these series and all the programs that support these series to get these drivers ready are starting much younger in a driver's racing career than we saw years and years ago or even a decade ago. We're talking with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Let's get a preview of, t- of tomorrow's Pennzoil 400 out in Las Vegas. Obviously, Ryan Blaney wins the poll, followed up by Kevin Harvey, Kurt Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Lawrence, uh, Chase Elliott, Ricky Steinhouse Jr., Brad Kolosky, Eric Jones, and Joey Logano round out your top ten for tomorrow's Pennzoil 400. Again, you know, Ryan Blaney clocked in so one of the fastest times out there, over 1.2 miles faster and a tenth plus on, you know, second place Kevin Harvick. Uh, Ryan Blaney has shown a lot of speed on these 1.5-mile racetracks. I mean, he did so a lot last year when he was over at the Wood Brothers in the number 21 car. Uh, he's just continuing this again this year uh, over there as he's moved to Penske Racing. As far as Kevin Harvick, he's he's definitely a threat. He's been a threat all weekend long. He may not have gotten the pole, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to uh, you know him being in that closer fashion. Kurt Busch last week, he put on a lot of he put on a lot of uh, show out there. He was able to get out there, get out there into the lead. 
But, you know, one person that we haven't talked about a whole lot this year is Martin Truex Jr. Martin Truex Jr. last year, he was the king of the 1.5-mile racetrack. He was the king of these stage races. And uh, we've just not, at this point, I know we're only, this will be, you know, the third race into the year, but, you know, we've not talked about him as much as we've started talking about him last year. He has a ton of... uh, you know, a ton of experience on these 1.5-mile tracks, and I think you now when we start getting to some of these events like Las Vegas and we get to Phoenix or, you know, even uh, out to Fontana, this is where we may start talking about him a little bit more than uh, uh, we have in the past, you know, you know, two three, two races or so. Um, there's a lot of other drivers out there at the end of the field. Young driver Eric Jones in the top ten, Joey Logano, Ricky Stenhouse, and uh, Brian, Brad Keselowski. All of those, uh, again, very, very fast, and I think that we have to look to them. Brad Keselowski is, is very good at these 1.5-mile racetracks also, and I think he's got – he can work the track just as well as anybody else. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, we've just got a very stacked – top 10 that could potentially go to victory lane tomorrow and depends on who Yeah, absolutely. And final point here, you know, as I look at, at our entry list in the top 10, six out of the top 10 are Fords. Can we read into the tea leaves as far as a manufacturer goes this year? Well, again, like I said, I think, you know, that Ford has uh, figured something out this year. They, last year they were very much behind the eight ball. I think that Toyota Camry, that they, that they came out with the 2018 Camry last year. I think that really just kind of not only put Ford behind the eight ball, but put Chevrolet behind the eight ball at the same time. Uh, you know, then this year we've got the new Camaro in the Monster Energy Series. It has performed very well at the Daytona 500, I, you know, with bringing Austin Dillon and the three back to victory lane. However, last week and this week, it's already that the Fords are right back on top. Last week we had, you know, Kevin Harvick winning. You had Kurt Busch leading. Uh, you've had you've had Fords that have dominated last week, and again we've got three Fords uh, just in the top three and six overall in the top ten. They're putting a lot more engineering into these. They're putting a lot more money and a lot more into the shaker rigs or into the simulation and other other different programs that Ford has and are working on to get back to a competitive level in the Monster Energy Series. And it's not like they haven't been competitive at all. It's just that. You know, they, they've fall, fallen behind here and there at certain styles of tracks. They've always been very good with the Roush H power at these 2.5-mile Talladega or Daytona in the draft. But when they get to some other tracks, it seems like they fall a little bit behind. The short tracks they've struggled on just a little bit, especially Martinsville. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, some of these 1.5-mile tracks just seemed like last year, the Toyotas, Joe Gibb Racing, uh, to some degree, but really Martin Truex Jr. was leading the field for Toyota and really just kind of put on a show. And I think, you know, yes, you know, Ford is starting to rebuild that powerhouse in the series, and I think this is just all precipitating into eventually a, a change of the body that will be forthcoming at some point, whether it's next year or the year after, and I think they need to lay this groundwork before they get to that point. Absolutely. Well, we've been talking with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, uh, talking about the Pennzoil three uh, 400, I'm sorry, tomorrow, and the uh, Boyd Gambling 300 today and the Truck Series as well. Uh, Steve, what are, what are you, pe- you guys working on? Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash Speedway Digest. 
and SpeedwayDigest.com. Um, you know, we're, we've got all kinds of good stuff going on out there from Las Vegas, um, talking about all the events going on. Uh, you know, the, excuse me, <coughs> the Boy Gaming 300 later on today, the Xfinity Series and the Penzone 400. We'll have all the wrap-ups coming up here as soon as the race is over with, qualifying to come up here for the Boy Gaming 300 just very shortly. We look forward to it. We'll, we'll be following along with you at, on the balance as well. You have yourself a good race weekend, and we'll talk with you again uh, soon, Steve. All right. Thanks a lot. Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, joining us. Uh, he's the editor and publisher over at Speedway Digest. Calls us every week, uh, for the most part, from down in Virginia. Talk with us a little bit about what's going on in NASCAR. We'll be right back. Hour number two's on on the way. The all-around great guy, Rick Kriggan, standing by in the uh, balance green room. Ed Kratz is going to be joining us. And later on in the second hour, Mo from the BS Sports Show. All of that coming up right here on the Balance Radio Network. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Thank you. 
still battling this gunk, whatever's going on in my throat. But, hey, I, I see a, a pleasant outlook coming up in the future. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Sal Marquez El Presidente. We're kicking off our number two. Thank you uh, to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, joining us and talking with us. Coming up uh, March 9th. Uh, uh, down in the streets of St. Petersburg, IndyCar gets underway. And, of course, Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest joined us talking NASCAR. Uh, Give us a recap of what happened last week out in Hotlanta and uh, what's going on this week with the Pennzoil 400 out in Las Vegas. So, but it is a great time to be here in Indianapolis where we flagship from high atop the Balance Studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis. The NFL Combine is here in town. I had an opportunity to go out there Thursday night and hang out a little bit on Radio Bro with some of my friends. Uh, Rick Joining us now, though, is Rick Riggin, all-around great guy from Evansville, Indiana, and our official NFL contributor uh, to help us break down the NFL Combine, take a look into uh, the upcoming draft, is Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, for USA Today. Had a awesome trip up at the Super Bowl as as well. So welcome, guys. Welcome aboard. You know, um, I, was down, I think I shared the, the picture with you, uh, Ed, but your buddy uh, Les Bowen from uh, the Philadelphia Daily News, if I got that wrong, I apologize, but he's uh, one of your uh, colleagues, if you will, as far as writing for the Philadelphia Eagles, is here in town. Unfortunately, you, can't, you weren't able to be here this weekend. How are you doing, Ed? Ed, are you with us, buddy? Rick, can you hear me? Yeah, hey, Tom, I can hear you, Tom. Uh, okay, okay. All right. Mike, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I had you. I, I was looking at. <laughs> my apologies. I, I was just saying. I, 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 I was just. No, saying, I was I, looking I at my mic you, because. Yeah. Well, I, I was looking at my mic because I'm the one who usually doesn't turn on his mic. So anyway, it's all good. <laughs> but the underwear Olympics, as, as I affectionately like to call it, is going on here in Indianapolis. And a lot of serious stuff going on as much as, as we, we like to joke about it. But, you know, I had an opportunity to, to go down there and hang out on, on uh, Radio Row Thursday afternoon uh, with some of my friends local here. And uh, as I was saying, as I ran into your buddy down there, it's unfortunate that you can't be here in town. But give us your thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles Going into the combine, what are you guys looking at for the draft and and uh, and so forth? Well, it, you know, it's really been a compressed uh, off season for the Eagles, right? Because they, you know, they won the Super Bowl. They played up till February fourth. It's very, you know, rare for them to do that. The Patriots, it's just kind of business as usual. So they're used to these uh, short off seasons in New England. But uh, you know, the Eagles have some big decisions to make uh, in a short period of time, and uh, you know, one of them will be the, you know personnel evaluation, which they're doing out in Indianapolis. And uh, Howie Roseman, their uh, vice president of football operations, talked about the depth of the draft. And uh, he liked the depth at tight, uh, tight end, uh, running back. And I think there was another one, maybe linebacker, uh, that he thinks there's some, some good players that can be had. Um, kind of giving a look maybe into what the Eagles' plans are. Maybe they'll grab one of those guys late. They need help at at all those positions, um, you know, they don't need a lot of help. They just need some depth and some, some pieces that can come in and that they can build for the future. Uh, you know, it was interesting how he also talked about the fact that, you know, Carson Wentz, the quarterback uh, is still on his rookie contract, but in, you know, two years, it'll be year four of that contract with a fifth year option, but you really want to kind of negotiate a new deal for him maybe within the next two years, which is 2020. And the Eagles are going to need some draft picks. They're going to need some cheap young salaries, 
Uh, and where do they come from? They come in the draft. So, you know, the Eagles have a short amount of time to evaluate the personnel and uh, make some good decisions in, in late April once the draft revs up. Oh, yeah, late, late April, yeah. Rick, uh, welcome to the balance, sir. Uh, Saturday morning, uh, NFL <laughs> Combine. What are your thoughts, buddy? Uh, well, about the NFL Combine, I'm just wondering, uh, wondering if there's anybody else at the Combine this year other than Saquon Barkley, because he's the only player I've heard of. He's ran faster than Zeke Elliott, more bench presses than Luke Keekley, uh, jumped higher than Odell Beckham Jr. So I'm just wondering if the if there if there's anybody else at the draft this year, Ed. I mean, at the combine, I mean. Yeah, well, he's stolen the head the headlines for sure. I mean, and and you know what? I you guys know I love Saquon Barkley. I talked about him all fall when he was lighting it up for Penn State. And yeah, he had some down games where he didn't have a lot of yards. But you know, you have to look sometimes at the offensive line too in those situations and how he was being used. But boy, it's how do you not love that kid? I mean, you've seen him interviewed. You've heard him talk. I mean, not only is he a terrific player on the field, and what a monster, 233 pounds. He runs a 4 4 Oh, definitely. You know, he bench-pressed 229 times, 225 pounds. But but off the field, I mean, you just you just listen to him talk. I mean, what a great locker room kid. And I, I know in Indianapolis where, you know, you, you know, what you hear is the locker room isn't always a good place to be there. You know, a lot of me-first guys in that locker room. And, uh, you know, Indianapolis certainly could use a culture change. And, and what better kid for them to take if he's sitting there at three than a Saquon Barkley? I know there's a lot of needs in Indianapolis, but, uh, boy, you know, Barkley, what he gives you on the field, he gives you just as much off the field and in that locker room. To me, if I'm the Cleveland Browns, I'm, you know, I have a plan for the Browns. I can tell you guys what it is. But it would lead to Barkley being taken first overall by the Cleveland Browns if I'm, if I'm Cleveland. And that would be after I signed Kirk Cousins well, as my quarterback. <laughs> and I think we might have to say you know, for the Browns. I think they, if they took Saquon Barkley, their next pick should be also Mika Fitzpatrick. <laughs> yeah. We might have the same plan, love- actually. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing about Saquon Barkley, and I would love to see him here in Indianapolis. I, 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 but there again, we've got some other things that have to be our priority. So we'll see if that's a possibility for him. To, I just don't see us – Getting him, but I, as a person, I would love to have him. I mean, heck, he's stronger than Joe Thomas, quicker than Deshaun Jackson, faster than uh, Devin Hester, uh, jumps higher than Julio Jones. The guy is a stud. Who wouldn't want him on his team? You know, let's let's go through this, uh, uh, you know, team by team, if you will. Let's talk a little bit about, and for the novice fan that isn't as uh, entrenched in sports like we are. Um, Especially football. Of course, I'm entrenched in all sports. I know you guys kind of fall on and off the grid uh, during the year on other sports, but I, I am knee deep in everything, and I, I'm, I'm now uh, going to see if we can't get beer pong as an Olympic sport. But it's going to happen. I'm going to be there to, to make it happen. <laughs> hey, what's, what's, what, you, you and me make but, a good doubles team, Tom. We can make a good doubles team and go for the gold medal in that one, and, you and me. Heck yeah. Go medal yeah. and beer pong, baby. Oh. Hey, I'm all for it. But, uh, Ed, talk with us a little bit about what's going on here in Indianapolis. Like I said, I was down there on Thursday night. It's very, very impressive. And and they're just now getting to the point over the last few years where they're letting fans in. And, you know, I I guess uh, when I I go to the gym, which is very few often in between, but when I do go to the gym, I see guys doing the bench presses, and I'm just walking by them with my water looking like I'm doing something cool. 
I don't stand there and watch guys bench press, but there's hundreds of people watching guys bench press uh, over there at the Combine. The NFL Network has created a Super Bowl-looking set at the Combine. This is huge for the fans. It's huge for the NFL but in two different worlds. The fans love to just see the, the future stars, love to see if they, they can catch a glance of Rich Eisen, which I had an opportunity to meet him. My buddy had an opportunity to interview him. And so, great guy, nice guy. I, I, it's always cool. You always wonder if when you meet these people that are uh, of God level uh, when it comes to broadcasting, but really a down-to-earth guy, really nice guy, and it was a, uh, an honor to meet him. But you know, I think that's from the fans' perspective. They, they, they want to go to see who they can see. But the NFL is also there to see who they can see. Talk with us a little bit about what's going on on the business side of NFL this week in Indianapolis. Uh, yeah, it, well, like you mentioned, the, you know, the workout stuff. Obviously, that's what fans see. And, uh, you know, you can go watch it and you can put it on the NFL network and you can watch it. And, you know, to me, it's not the most exciting thing, uh, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, it's a necessary evil for these general managers and NFL decision makers to go and see this and record, uh, you know, all of that pertinent workout information. But there's so much that goes on uh, off of the field, uh, you know, away from the workout environment. You know, the meetings that teams have, the informal meetings and the formal meetings that teams have, which is really a good chance for, uh, you know, these decision makers for each team to kind of get to know uh, the players away from the field you know you'll, you'll ask them questions uh, about their personal lives and you know you'll dig a little deeper it, it's the interview process really is what it is and uh, you know that is just as important if not more important to me than what goes on in the workout environment uh, you know a kid like the um, kid from Florida Antonio Callaway who uh, was suspended his whole year a wide receiver suspended his whole senior year or final year at Florida uh, for off the field issues. Now, you know, he's a kid that had first round talent written all over him. He is at the combine and I know the Eagles spoke to him and, uh, trying to get to know him better. He had a daughter. He, he claims he's more mature now with his life, but you know, these are interview. these are the interviews that are going to make or break some of these kids. Uh, you look at a kid like Orlando Brown, the big offensive tackle from Oklahoma who had a very disappointing, uh, workout session. Uh, you know, he's going to have to open some eyes in the interview room with these, uh, executives from the different teams uh and then he's going to have to let his game day game day tape kind of stand out because he didn't do very well at the combine uh, but to me the interview process and getting to know the kids digging a little deeper off the field and then if you're a quarterback or or someone that's in heavily involved with the offense then you put some plays up on the board and you have them diagnose it uh you know and run them through what they would be thinking if the defense gave them this look or that look so you know that that to me and that's not what's televised so you don't know what's going on in those uh, you know, those meeting rooms off of the field. So, right. But to me, that's more important than the workout stuff. Absolutely. And I would think that as much trouble PR-wise as the NFL has had in and around players, that teams, when they do their interview process and they get to know them personal one-on-one, they, they want to be conscious of that. I, I would think that that is more and more they're going to ask more and more type questions and they're going to look deeper and deeper into their background and maybe look deeper into their psychological profile. I would think that that's part of the process. Rick Riggin, what do you got? Uh, and also with the uh, combine and draft, it just shows the NFL's dominance really because the NFL holds March and April, which is crazy to think about because baseball opening days, usually April 1st or April 2nd. So we might talk about baseball for those couple of days. 
April 3rd rolls around, we're right back in to talk about the NFL draft, and all the way through the end of April after the draft. So it just shows that the NFL is dominant uh, year-round, really. Yeah, that's a great Good. point, right? You, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no. That that's a great point. I mean, he's right. Rick's right. Uh, you know, March 14th is when free agency begins. But you know, you have your All Star games that you know people are paying attention to. You know, the Senior Bowl and the East West Shrine and all those games. And then you have the the Combine, which has you know become like you said, Thomas Super Bowl like event with Radio Row and uh, you know fans now being allowed in to watch and. Um, I'm not sure if those fans are being charged or not, but how much longer until the NFL starts, you know, digging into their pockets for 10 bucks to walk through the doors. I, maybe they already are. I don't know, but uh, they, yeah, they so, are. It's, it, it costs to get in. It's about 15 bucks. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, you're right. Rick's right. I mean, then, then March 14th, bam, the doors open and all these trades that we've heard speculated on, you know, Marcus Peters being dealt from uh, Kansas city to LA. And then apparently LA, the Rams made a trade today. They traded their uh, pass rusher, Robert Quinn, to the Dolphins uh, for some draft picks, but they, they can't announce them, and they don't become official until March 14th. So that's when all the teams can come out of the gate, signing free agents. All these negotiations are taking uh, place right now. You know, Kirk Cousins, I'm sure, has talked to many teams, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Bradford, all these available uh, free agent quarterbacks. So when March 14th hits, Teams are poised to strike. They're ready to announce everything that they've worked on in these few weeks leading up to that. And then after that, you have uh, – then you start the schedule. You know, the NFL makes a big deal out of their schedule release, and that's a big deal. People start putting down their W's and L's as soon as that schedule comes out, wins and losses, and then the draft. So, you know, March and April do belong to the NFL and baseball. Uh, you know, people – they're obviously baseball is huge and people care about it, but the NFL doesn't take a backseat to anybody. Well, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned uh, charging fans. If you're a local around here or have the ability to go down to the combine, I think it's a fun experience. I I will tell you this. It's not quite what maybe you might think. You're not going to get to see, you know, all your, uh, uh, you, you know, Bradley Chubbs and Breaker Mayfield all at one time. It's, it's not like all, all of them are out at one time. They kind of bring them out in groups, and there's different phases. So there's the NFL experience, which is really huge, which is also where the NFL Network has their – uh, huge setup, uh, and I, that that to me, I guess maybe I'm just a, a uh, uh, broadcast geek, but to see the complex behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on with the NFL Network, I bet you there was 20, 30 people from producers uh, to uh, just making sure things are going smoothly. So although you might see Rich Eisen and the groups you know, sitting there on set, there's at least 30 or 40 people behind the scenes just going full speed at 100 miles an hour. It is really a neat experience to see uh, when you're there at the Combine. But certainly it's not a uh, – you're not going to see all these stars all at one time. You're not going to be able to get autographs. You're not going to be able to get pictures with them. But you are going to be able to, to see them, and you are going to be able to see them do their bench presses. And that is probably one of the most exciting events there is, like I said, hundreds of people watching – uh, uh, people do uh, bench presses, but let's talk a little bit about Indianapolis. And as, as I rich listened to Rich Eisen and my and a good friend of our show, also been on the show many times, uh, Derek Schultz of the Aquarian Schultz Schultz here local. As I listened to Rich Eisen talk to their show, he said, "If I'm Chris Ballard, I'm letting my phone just ring, 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 and ring and ring, and I'm looking and I'm listening. Now I may not be taking any offers, but I'm looking and listening. And you got to believe." that uh, Cleveland is one of those calls 
that Chris Ballard's going to listen to. Talk with us a little bit about the Indianapolis Colts. They're in a unique position with the number three pick. I mean, I think a lot of people would think that the, 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 the most common sense pick would be Bradley Chubb. I would like to see Shaquan Barkley here. But you're, you're familiar with uh, Frank Reich, our, our new head coach, uh, very familiar with his scheme, his, the way he, he's going to run things here in Indianapolis. We've got a, a new uh, general manager. Just This is just his second year. We're in a unique position. We're, we're, we're looking at luck. If you're Chris Ballard and you're Frank Reich and you're at the Combine, what are you looking for? And, you're, and as you look ahead toward the draft, Ed, what are you looking for? Well, I, I guess you have to feel good about Andrew Luck, right, in his shoulder and hope that, you know, he can return to full strength. I mean, that's certainly a huge issue uh, with the Colts. And, you know, do they take a quarterback later, uh, you know, maybe in the second round? Uh, pro- I, you know, if I'm them, I probably would. I don't. I wouldn't spend my number three overall pick on a quarterback, obviously, unless Luck has told Reich and Ballard that he can't play or he has pain again. So that's really the first issue you have to iron out. And then, you know, you talk about trades. If you can trade back a couple spots um, and pick up another pick or two, because when you're drafting in the top five, you have multiple holes that you need to fill. Let's face it. You know, you, you don't have just one need. But if you can somehow land a few more picks, uh, right. to, to get a couple more draft guys in there and develop them, uh, then maybe you're back to, you know, the road to where you can contend for a Super Bowl. But uh, if you sit at three, you're going to get a great player, and, and that, you know, that's great. Um, that would be fine for Colts fans, I'm sure, especially if they grab Saquon Barkley to help take some of the pressure off Andrew Luck, you know, develop that run game, um, you know, or an offensive lineman. I love the kid from Notre Dame, Quentin Nelson, who plays with a mean streak and he's a big kid and he's strong and, you know, you need an offensive lineman. So, you know, if I'm Frank Reich and I'm Chris Ballard, I'm starting with the quarterback and, but I'm sticking, everybody has Chubb going to the Colts and I know they need a pass rusher, but you know, to me, they have to somehow keep luck healthy, take some of the pressure off luck. And to me, that means an offensive lineman or a running back uh, is what I'd be looking very, very seriously at if I'm the Colts. If you stay at three, if you trade back, then that obviously opens the door, uh, you know, some, to, to some different possibilities. But at number three, if I'm Reich, I'm an offensive guy, I'm banging the table for a, a guy that can help Andrew Luck and keep him healthy, and that's Quentin Nelson or Saquon Barkley. Absolutely. Rick Riggin, uh, what are your thoughts uh, for uh, Ed on the combine, the Colts? Or, and, you know, you, your Lions are at the number 20 pick. I don't know who you guys are looking at there. Uh, I know a lot of the mock drafts have uh, geese, uh, Goose of LSU uh, running back uh, going to the Lions. But we always want to make sure that we incorporate your Detroit Lions, uh, Rick. <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. Geese or geese? Geese, goose, gosh, I don't know. The guys from LSU. <laughs> Yeah, Darius guys. Uh, you know, actually, my Tom, my question is for you because we talked about uh, the Colts' inability to protect Andrew Luck. You know, these past few years, that's the reason why he's always so injured. So, would you, would you want to build up that offensive line before you went running back? What should you take a guy like Quentin Nelson first? Be thinking that direction first because it's not just uh, you, you. It's I have a lot of buddies that are Colts fans. You know, just talking about how bad and horrible the offensive line is. So, should the thinking be take a guy like Quentin Nelson over Saquon Barkley? Oh, absolutely. I think Quentin Nelson, and I know he's a Notre Dame guy, and that's probably why you want him here in, in Indiana. But uh, no, the, the thing about I it want is because <laughs> we need some offensive line help too. <laughs> 
But here's the thing. No, I'm totally, I'm totally with you. I, I guess I just, you know, you look at guys like Saquon Barkley and you look at guys like Chubb that are there. And again, and Ed, you might could speak to this when we, when we maybe if there's some trading and moving around, there's the the possibility of picking him up. I just don't know that he's on their radar for their first round pick if they stay at the number three. Uh, Ed. Who's that, Barkley or uh, Chubb? Who, who do you mean there, Tom? Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm talking about Nelson, Quentin Nelson. He said, wouldn't oh, we want to draft oh, yeah. Quentin Nelson? I said, I don't know that he's on their radar, per se, for the first round. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's true. Uh, but, you know, like Rick said, would you rather have the running back or, or the line? And here's the thing about taking a running back in the top five. You know, what's the shelf life of an NFL running back now? You know, obviously – Barkley is well armored to survive quite a while in the NFL, but really what's the shelf life of a successful NFL running back? It's not that high. So that's right. why, when you know, it's great to take a running back in the first round. They help you immensely, but you know, are you going to get the biggest bang for your buck? Whereas a lineman, if they stay healthy, you know, they have a longer shelf life. You could take a lineman and he could play in the league for 10 years. Uh, you know, look at Jason Peters uh, for the Eagles. You know, he's 36 years old. He's had a couple injuries. Yeah. But I mean, he's, been in the league for 15 years so uh you know you have to look at the shelf life of a player and you know can you get more value by taking someone other than a running back whose shelf life let's face it is short because they take so many hits so you know to me it's i i'm a big believer in building from the lines out you know offensive and defensive lines so you know i can understand them wanting to take chubb if he's sitting there at three and they haven't made a deal because he's a you know, he's a defensive end and he's a defensive lineman and pass rushers are awfully hard to find. You have to get a, you have to get them early. Um, but, you know, if I'm the Colts, again, it comes down to offense. Frank Reich's an offensive guy. I want someone that's going to help Andrew Luck. And maybe it doesn't look like Nelson's on their radar, but maybe it's a smoke screen. You know, this time of year, teams really don't want to tip their hand. Maybe they're just not tipping their hand and they do like Nelson. Uh, or, or Barkley, everybody loves Barkley. I mean, I – you know, do you want to help him? But you, yeah, to me, I would go line, uh, to be honest, whether that's offense or defense. And, you know, Chubb's a great player, I guess. You know, he's well thought of. But uh, I, w- I would go either Nelson or Chubb or, or Barkley. But I just think the Colts, to me, are going to go offense, just because Frank Reich is an offensive guy. We're talking with Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor. It's the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis. Uh, certainly, that is a huge part of the interview process uh, for draft day. But one of the things we mentioned earlier and haven't talked much about is free agency. And one of the biggest free agents that everybody's talking about and wants a piece of, and that is uh, Kirk Cousins. Now, we saw that the Jets uh, will are willing to do whatever it takes to break the bank and do whatever kind of guaranteed money they can do to get Kirk Cousins. We've, uh, we've heard talk about Denver. We've heard talk about Minnesota, which I think if if you want to go with logic, that's where he ends up at. I think he's been in chaos for so long in the, with Washington. He doesn't want to go anywhere where there's chaos. And so there's chaos in New York Jets. There's chaos in the Broncos. There's chaos at the Browns. There's not so much chaos with the Minnesota Vikings. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the quarterback situation in round one. Uh, obviously, a lot of people know that uh, Baker Mayfield is going to be there somewhere in round one. Uh, I think a lot of the mock drafts have the Jets going with Baker uh, Mayfield in round one. We've got a lot of quarterbacks in round one that are going to be falling off. The Giants need a quarterback. The Browns need a quarterback. So quarterbacks are going to be flying off uh, the draft chart very, very quickly. And then, of course, the, the free agency. So I know we only got you for a few more minutes, Ed, but if you could address free agency, the quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins, uh, Mayfield, 
Baker Mayfield and yeah. all of that, sir. Go right ahead. <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I could stay on a few more minutes too. I mean, I you know ten thirty. Uh, oh, okay, great. That a little bit, but yeah, but my my. Okay, great. I think yeah, I, I think to me, uh, Kirk Cousins is kind of the lead domino to this whole off season in the NFL. Where is he going to go? And then where he decides to go, or whoever signs him, then we can start to plug in uh, other quarterbacks, uh, you know, in the draft and through free agency. If Cousins goes to Denver, then we know Denver needs or Denver does not need a quarterback. To me, I think Denver and the Jets are probably the two top spots for Kirk Cousins at this point. I know Minnesota has been mentioned, and Mike Zimmer though came out this week and said, "Look, we can't." You know, I don't think he wants to throw all that kind of money at one position. He wants to play. He's a defensive guy, and he, you know, he brought up a stat where there were like 31 and three in games where they scored 21 points or more. So, you know, he wants to have money to be able to build a complete team. I'm not sure he's too in love with throwing a ton of cash at one position, but he's not the, you know, he's not the chief decision maker there, obviously. But that was his kind of his take this week at the combine when he said that. So. I wonder now if the Jets will be players. But to me, Cousins has to uh, kind of decide where he's going, and then we can start to plug in some other things. Like, for instance, Nick Foles here in Philadelphia. You know, Howie Roseman talked about possibly trading him. They did not commit to Nick Foles being on this team. And, you know, the Eagles don't have a second or third round pick in the draft this year. And I mentioned earlier Carson Wentz's contract is going to be coming due, and they don't have many draft picks uh, because of trades that they made. You know, getting Ronald Darby after trading Jordan Matthews is – you know, trading for Carson Wentz to move up to number two two years ago. They have a, a shortage of draft capital, and Foles, they think, might be able to replenish some of that. So first, though, you have to see where Cousins is going, and then you have to see maybe where they might try to trade Foles if anybody's interested. You know, Arizona is a place. They don't have a quarterback. Um, I suspect they'll draft one, but I think they're sitting at number uh, 15. You know, there, there are five, I think, five quarterbacks that are slated to go in the first round. Baker Mayfield is one of them. Who's going to be the first one? It seems like Sam Darno is. He's not throwing at the combine, uh, you know, which is going to put some teams behind the eight ball. But I guess they'll, he'll have private workouts at USC or wherever he's going to do that, and teams will flock to that. And then you have Josh Rosen, uh, you know, the kid from UCLA. Those are the two top quarterbacks, I think, uh, that could go in the top ten. And then you throw in the kid from Wyoming, who I wasn't overly impressed with. I saw a few Wyoming games, Josh Allen. Uh, but, you know, he's got the big arm. You know, everybody loves the big arm, so he'll go in the first round. And, you know, I think Baker Mayfield's just maybe a tick below those three, um, but certainly a first-round type of talent. Um, and, and then you have a kid like the Louisville kid, Lamar Jackson, who there was a rumor that they, teams wanted to try receiver, but I think he is a very dynamic uh, quarterback prospect. I know the Eagles even met with him. Uh, you know, the Eagles like to draft quarterbacks. If they do get rid of Foles, maybe they – uh, draft Lamar Jackson and develop him uh, behind Carson Wentz. Uh, so there are a lot of quarterbacks, and, and the good thing about so many quarterbacks in the first round is it pushes other talent down the board. And if you're the Colts who are sitting there, I guess, with the third pick of the second round, you're going to get a great player. You know, you, you know you're going to get another good player. It might not be a quarterback, and I think the Colts need to take a quarterback somewhere here. Uh, maybe a second-tier kid like the kid from Richmond, Kyle Laletta, who had a, a good uh, senior bowl. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know how he'll do at the combine, but, you know, he certainly opened some eyes. He's a Philadelphia kid. He, he, he grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and went to the University of Richmond. But I know Mike Mayock loves that kid. But, you know, maybe he's sitting there in the third round for the Colts. I think the Colts need to come out of this with a quarterback someplace. 
I don't know if they would go, you know, with their third pick in the second round. That might be a little high depending on who's left. Maybe one of these first-round kids slips into the early second round and they grab him there. Um, but there's a lot of quarterbacks out there. There's a lot of free agents. Where's Teddy Bridgewater going to end up? Where, you know, where is, uh, you know, Bridgewater hasn't played in two years. But, you know, you have McCarron, A.J. McCarron from the Bengals. You know, do you like that guy? Do you trust him to run an offense for 16 games and see where that takes you? Uh, you know, Sam Bradford, always injury prone. Does a team take another chance on him? So, you know, there's a lot of questions to be answered. We're sitting there early March, but the first question that needs mm-hmm. to be answered is where Kirk Cousins is going, and then we'll, you know, then we'll be able to. That'll give us a little more clarity on what could happen next. Well, I'll tell you what, the guy who has all the answers uh, joins us now is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, we're talking the NFL draft. We are going to get into some of this college basketball talk because it is huge news. I have not forgot about it, but I do want, did want to get your thoughts on the combine. Uh, obviously, you heard Ed talking about the, the quarterbacks and the draft situation. We know where the Colts are sitting at. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to be down at the combine on Thursday afternoon, hang out on, on Radio Row. Uh, so uh, a lot of a fun environment around the combine, but it's also very, very serious as these uh, teams get ready for the draft. Rick Riggin joins us as well. Uh, so, Mo, what are your thoughts on the Combine, the draft, and, and just uh, give us uh, your overall uh, knowledge, sir. Well, you know, I agree with what Ed says. I think, you know, you've got to wait and see where Kirk Cousins goes, and I think it's it's very interesting what's left for him. I guess at this point it's, it's whether uh, a team wants to pay him, who wants to win now, and, and or is he all about the money? Uh, Kirk Cousins with Minnesota is interesting, but you've got three quarterbacks there who've helped you uh, do pretty well the last couple of seasons. And like Zimmer said the other day, he's got to make the right decision or he could be unemployed. Uh, Denver seems like a logical place too, but they, I don't know if they want to pay what Kirk Cousins is going to ask to me. And, and I'm sure I can speak better on this. Do you trade Nick Foles at this time for the draft capital that he would bring? And if, if AJ McCarron or a case Keenum doesn't get a starting job somewhere, try to uh, back up Carson Wentz with a, uh, a guy who's proven himself over the last couple of years to uh, ensure that uh, that Carson Wentz is healthy again. Maybe he doesn't start the season. You have a, a guy who's capable to help you defend that Super Bowl championship. Well, here, here's the thing about that, uh, Mo, is that Howie Roseman came out this week, and so did Doug Peterson at the Combine, and they just sang the praises up and down of Nate Sudfeld, you know, their, uh, their number three quarterback, uh, you know, a kid that they thought enough of to promote to the – from the practice squad to the 53-man roster because it was rumored that the Colts were going to try to grab him, uh, you know, off of the practice squad. So the Eagles elevated him so they couldn't do that. Um, But they love Nate Sudfeld. He has no experience whatsoever. He played the second half of the meaningless season finale against the Cowboys. But the fact that the brass came out and really kind of, you know, said that they love the kid uh, indicates to me that they will trade Nick Foles if the right opportunity presents itself. But, you know, it takes two to tango. They – you know, they're going to want to get a very good offer for Nick Foles, obviously, before they deal him. But to me, they would have no problem dealing him. They'll involve him in the conversation. They'll, they'll be up front with him and say, Nick, we have an offer. We're going to trade you to, you know, whoever, um, Arizona maybe. Uh, it's where he played his college ball. Um, I think the Eagles want draft capital. I really do. And I think that they're going to ask a lot. And if a team meets that price, then it's see you later, Nick, and they're going to have Sudfeld either start the season if Wentz isn't ready or be the primary backup behind Wentz and then maybe draft a kid, uh, you know, with that last pick in the first round or early second round should they move back with a trade. Uh, but to me, I think Nick Foles at this point is probably 
you know, 30% to return, 70% to go. But, again, that's dependent on where Cousins goes, where some of these free agents land, who's going to need a quarterback, uh, and who's willing to meet the Eagles' price. Hey, you know, Bill Poya, and he said, hey, uh, uh, the Eagles should uh, require, like, four first-round picks. That would, that would make – that would make – uh, Brad, uh, that would make Aaron Rodgers just uh, uh, worth like Fort Knox or whatever, although they say there's no gold in Fort Knox. Rick, you're up. Uh, what do you got for Mo and uh, Ed before we move on to some basketball talk? Yeah, so do any of you guys feel like if the Browns go quarterback first round again, that is just really counterproductive because there's zero continuity when you have guys like Kirk Cousins, which they may or may not get, or some of these free agent quarterbacks, veteran guys sitting out there that they can go after. And then in the draft, they can go after Saquon Barkley, Mika Fitzpatrick, guys like that. Just taking another quarterback who's going to have a less than stellar rookie year because he plays in Cleveland, and that that's just going to set them to draft another quarterback next year. Shouldn't they just either give Kaiser an, another year to try to build on what he did this past season. You know, he can't go any worse than 0-16 for one. And then uh, or go after one of these trade quarterbacks. Shouldn't that be more the way that you would think they, they, the, uh, the direction they should go? No. I think if I'm the Cleveland Browns, what I'm doing is I have so much draft capital and so much cash, I am making a heavy play for Kirk Cousins. I'm drafting Barkley number one. I'm taking Quentin Nelson, number four, and then I'm going to try to trade for Jarvis Landry, and bam, there's my offense. Now you can start to address the defense with your picks uh, you know, what, in the second third round. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I'm saying, going through free agent guys or just stick with Kaiser. Yeah. And do not draft oh, another quarterback. Well, you're, you're a Notre Dame guy, Rick, so I know you want him to stick with Kaiser, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Actually, he'd be a good backup for Stafford in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I – I think Kaiser can play. I, you know, I just think he was put into a bad situation last year. I think if you sign Cousins and make Kaiser your primary backup and let him learn, let him learn behind a kid that's won in the NFL and Kirk Cousins and, you know, be the primary backup should something happen to Cousins. Then maybe you're ready to step in a little more prepared after a rookie year where you were thrust into the fire and, uh, you know, maybe had the opportunity to learn during a training camp with a veteran. Um, you know, that's what they need to me. They, to me, they shouldn't bring in another rookie with a, a second-year guy sitting behind him in Kaiser. You know, to me, bring in a veteran. Let the rookie learn from some, or you know, the second-year kid in Kaiser learn from somebody that's done it. And you know, to me, the fact that the Browns aren't being mentioned as going after Kaiser is, or rather Cousins is a big mistake. I really think they should make a strong play for Cousins and let him come in and be their quarterback for the next couple of years while Kaiser learns. And then address the other needs that they have, the running back, the offensive line, trade for a receiver, and then worry about the defense later in the draft. Um, I don't know. That maybe might make too much sense for them. I'm not sure. But that's kind of what I would do. And the problem for me is but, with the no, Browns is that, is that ahead, the no, Browns, they, they, there's, there's nothing attractive on that offense for a quarterback coming in. If you're, if you're a free agent quarterback, you have really no weapons. So I agree with that 100%. I'm drafting – uh, some guys for that offense. I'm, I'm trading for a receiver, signing a free agent receiver. And then if you're, you know, maybe if you can't get Kirk Cousins, a guy like A.J. McCarron makes sense who has some success with Hugh Jackson in Cincinnati. He's a guy that can, you right. can get a couple, three years out of. He's not going to cost you a lot of money, so you still have a lot of money uh, under the cap. So I, I agree with, uh, with Ed and Rick 100%. You, you, you make this an attractive place for a quarterback to want to come while you try to develop Kaiser. I, I I think drafting another quarterback would be asking. I'm not trying to say develop Kaiser. I'm, I'm saying by all means do not draft another quarterback. If you're not going to get 
points for Asian guys, they might as well just stick with Kaiser. I'm just saying, do anything, but do, just do not draft another quarterback because that's that's all I'm saying. So yeah, uh, I'm with you. I don't I, draft I another quarterback that, either. I, I appreciate the, the the thoughts on the NFL, but I know that Ed, you you drop off whenever you need to. I understand. So if we lose you, we know that you just had to go. Mo, you said you were kind of on a tight clock, but I do want to get to some college basketball talk. First of all, first and foremost, Ed, how about Penn State and Ohio State last night in the Big Ten tournament out at Market Square? Well, not Market Square. (laughs) 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 Wow. That was a a blast for the past. I don't know where that came out at. Um, You know where I I mean that. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, well. You local, you local people will get that joke. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I get it. Uh, but uh, so, are you going to go to Blockbuster after this and get yourself a video? Uh, right. What? I, I guess. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, Madison listen, I, Square I, Garden. That's what I meant to say. I got you. Well, um, yeah, well, listen, I don't, I, you know, I texted you last night. I really haven't been paying a whole lot of attention to college basketball this year. So, uh, you know, great win for Penn State. But, uh, you know, I think that might put them in the tournament. Hopefully, you know, I think they've had a pretty good year where they should get into the tournament. Huge win over a number two team. But uh, other than that, I don't know a whole lot about that. So this might make a good time for me to jump off, guys. So I'll do that. And, uh, okay. We'll talk. Well, that, that makes a three-game sweep for, for Penn State over Ohio State this year now. Three-game sweep, beat them all three times. There you go. Got to love that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. All right, thanks, guys. I know you got I'll some. See you. All right, buddy. We'll yeah, see you. Uh, okay, bye-bye. Kratz, uh, writer for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, uh, jumped on talking some NFL combine uh, with us and uh, – uh, the NFL draft. He's also a wrestling coach, so he has a wrestling tournament today, so he, he had to kind of jump off. Great atmosphere down at the Combine. It was really cool to meet Rich Eisen. Uh, that was pretty cool. But, uh, you know, what I really want to talk about on the, on the NCAA scandal, if you will, I do want to circle back around to IU. IU's done, over with. Uh, the brother to the coach of IU, uh, Sean Miller out in Arizona. Here's what I want to say. I've heard this, and you guys may have heard Clay, uh, Clay Travis's show as well. Here's the thing. I don't, in his take on, on, on uh, Sean Miller, and I'll go around the panel and get you guys' thoughts on this. I don't think that he's denying that he, that he had a conversation with someone on, that might be on tape about $100,000. I do believe that it wasn't paid and that that player did not show up at Arizona. Here, here's the thing. ESPN is not a credible news source to me anymore at all. And what you see is Yahoo's been the one that's kind of been breaking this FBI news and stuff. Why didn't Yahoo release this story about Sean Miller? So, well, I guess it's a simple question. We'll start with uh, you, Rick, and then we'll, we'll go around to you, Mo. Do you believe Sean Miller in his statement? Now, you've got to go and listen to the whole press conference if you've not done it, but do you think that ESPN is making you believe that Sean Miller is guilty of obstruction or some sort of crazy FBI crime, or do you think that maybe, yeah, he had a conversation with someone about $100,000? Do you believe his story? Because here's the thing. One or two things is going to happen here. ESPN is going to be very right, or they're going to be very wrong, and if they're very, very wrong, I think we can say goodbye officially to ESPN. Go ahead, Rick. 
Yeah, as of right now, I'm actually leaning towards uh, believing Sean Miller. And if his story is true, and I'm with you, Tom, I think he did maybe have a conversation with somebody. But uh, I don't think any money was exchanged or a kid that went to Arizona that really happened. But I'm leaning, I'm siding with Sean Miller as of right now, and I believe this is going to be one of the biggest uh, uh, ESPN reporting journalistic failures of all time next to the whole uh, Duke uh, lacrosse scandal they blew up <laughs> out of proportion that uh, ended up being false. So uh, I think it's going to be right there at that, and I'm, I'm with you. I think it's just uh, ESPN is sinking further down the drain. Um, what are your thoughts, and not only about Sean Miller, but just this whole NCAA scandal that is going to affect everyone? And you know what's going to have to happen, and what may happen is the NCAA is going to have to change the rules. You can be employed; this college may not pay pay you, but there's nothing that says you that you that nobody in college can't go and get a job. So, hey, if you want to be employed, air quotes, by a shoe company, then just make it all up front and honest. I really could care less if a kid is is got a nice apartment. Or, honestly, I could care less if he's getting paid. Just Let's just get, put it all up front, on board, all the cards on the table and say, hey, yes, here's what's going on. Stop trying to hide it. And let's let's just bring back some integrity to the NCAA basketball system, if that's even possible. Go ahead, Mo. Well, I mean, for as far as the college athletes go, I think you should definitely set up a system like you do with the Olympic athletes where they're still amateurs, but they're able to accrue sponsorships and use their likeness uh, as amateurs for profit. And why couldn't you do that with men's basketball? You know, I remember as a kid, I had a Michigan Chris Weber jersey. He didn't see a dime off of it. You can have his name on the back, but I sure I had a Michigan number four jersey. I mean, who the hell was that for? We all knew that. Uh, as far as the Sean Miller thing goes, that's right. I mean, that's right. There have been there have been some issues with uh, you know with some of his assistant coaches. Uh, maybe there is a tape that exists, and maybe it's not Sean Miller. Maybe it's the assistant coach that was uh, let go and and arrested in this FBI uh, uh, sting. So it, it's possible that this tape does exist, and it's also possible it's not Sean Miller. The interesting thing is going to be now. You know, I think the Heat's been taking off Sean Miller somewhat because now they've both, you know, staken their claim. They've both put their uh, their flag there uh, in the sand, and, and, and who's going to be wrong? It's got to be one or the other. There's no middle ground here. Somebody's going to be wrong and look bad. But, you know, you look at uh, – Sean Miller did have a conversation with a kid about money, and he didn't go there. That still doesn't look very good uh, on Sean Miller. But, you know, and the fact that uh, one of his assistant coaches has been in trouble – uh, doesn't look good. It's really hard for me to believe in one of these programs that the the head coach don't know doesn't know what the assistant coaches are doing. So it's a, it, every big program is going to have some issues when it comes down to this thing when it finally all comes out. And I don't think honestly that anybody's going to be shocked, other than the NCAA is going to act like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this was going on. I don't think there's anybody out there that doesn't believe that, that players aren't getting paid. Yeah, we'll see how far this rabbit hole goes. That's for sure, guys. Uh, let's uh, kind of get into the NCAA season. Uh, we're just a, a week or so away, a uh, week and a half away from uh, Selection Sunday. Uh, March Madness bracketology is underway. Uh, I mean, we'll see what happens here in the Big Ten Tournament uh, Championship uh, with Purdue and Penn State, I believe. Uh, yeah, Purdue and Penn State. Am I correct on that in the championship game? Well, there's – there's games today. The championship won't be till tomorrow. Oh, that's right. Okay, so Purdue plays today. Okay, so uh, Purdue, I would not be surprised if they get a number two seat. I don't see them getting a number one seat. But let's uh, start with uh, what is near and dear to my heart, and that's IU. Now, here's the thing about IU, and 
I, I am a patient guy. But let's face it, Tom Crean got fired because they couldn't get wins. Uh, let's, let's face it, though, Archie Miller, yes, they turned around, but have they improved enough? Did, did we see enough from Archie Miller? Uh, I don't know if they'll go to the NIT. They might. I, it's highly unlikely. There might be another small, low-level tournament that nobody cares about that they might go to. At the end of the day, I think what fans really want to do is see IU in the NCAA dance. And I don't know since Bobby Knight era has IU missed so many chances at getting to the NCAA uh, dance. Rick, we'll start with you. IU, thoughts? I I think that uh, Archer Miller has done enough this year to uh, at least uh, get some fans on his side. Uh, you know, what he dealt with this year is really a patchwork team of what's left of Tom Crean's players, uh, I feel. And once he can get guys like, I, I believe, Romeo Langford, even though that embarrassing loss of Rutgers a couple of days ago, I still believe, uh, you know, Romeo Langford's probably going to commit to IU. And that's a uh, that's a huge step in the right direction, uh, getting recruits in like that. I, I think Archie has done enough this year. I think he's going to recruit his ass off. He's going to get the, the athletes in that, you know, that can – run his system because he's got a really aggressive defensive system. And they're really, uh, you know, they really aggressive on offense too, trying to uh, score points before the uh, defense on, you know, opposing defense can uh, even get set up. So he's really aggressive. He doesn't have those type of players yet to run that type of scheme. Uh, But when he builds, IU I think is going to take the the Big Ten back over. So, yes, I think you can see what he's trying to do. I think he has done enough. No, nobody's uh, happy about their loss to Rutgers and close losses down the stretch here to the uh, Michigan State and Purdue and Ohio State. These are games they could have won. They just don't have that type of depth yet to win these close games like that. But it's coming. I, I feel like Archie has done enough, and he's going to build, and next year it's going to be a little bit better. Mo, well, go ahead. Uh, Mo, what are your thoughts on IU? And then we're going to get uh, some thoughts on uh, NCAA as uh, the world as we know it might be ending after this this year. Go ahead, sir. Well, I mean, if you look at those close games that Rick was referring to, IU could have won all those games. But their biggest problem when it comes to those close games has been that, that they're a terrible free-throw shooting team. Absolutely horrific. No excuse for how bad they are at the free-throw line. Uh, the other one, I mean, let's be honest, I think they were led the Big Ten or were second in the Big Ten in turnovers this year. They're terrible when it comes to taking care of the basketball. Uh, I mean, Archie Miller has none of his own guys, you know, in there yet. And you took, uh, you know, three of your of your starters from last year who were underclassmen who left and James Blackman Jr., OG Ananobi, and, and Thomas Bryant. So that's a big part of your core lineup that Archie should have had this year that, that left last year and went to the draft. So, I mean, it, it's going to take some time. Uh, the problem, the biggest problem for IU fans is they're very impatient. They're very like Notre Dame football fans. They're very impatient, and uh, I think you got to sit back. And it's going to take a couple of years, and you just you have to, uh, as they say in Philadelphia, trust the process. Mo, as we look ahead to March 11th, is that I think that's Selection Sunday? I I, I got my days all screwed up, but uh, it's next Sunday, Tom. Uh, <laughs> eight it's eight, eight days, six hours. <laughs> Okay, eight days, six hours, eight minutes, and 54 seconds. As we look ahead to Selection Sunday, <laughs> uh, what, are your, what, are your, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Do you think there's going to be any uh, big games today that's really going to affect uh, that next week? Uh, any, uh, any tournament games going on next weekend as far as play-in games? Mo, what are your thoughts as far as 
I think we pretty much know who the number one seeds are going to be. Uh, maybe we don't know exactly how it's all going to come. The brackets are going to come together, but I think we're pretty well agreed on who the top number one seeds will be. Go ahead, Mo. Well, I mean, here's the thing about it. You know, this year it's been very, um, it's been very, been a lot of parity. You know, so. As far as it goes, I mean, every game to me in these in these uh, these uh, conference tournaments are, are big games. You know what I'm saying? So, I think at this point, uh, you know, every matchup is huge. Even uh, you know, you look at it, especially for teams like Xavier, who are looking to be a, a top tier type seed. You know, every game is huge for them. Maybe they're not big opponents, but every game is huge for a, a team like that. And I, I hate you know even saying mid major anymore because they're a top notch program, but. It, it, Every game is big. We saw with Indiana Rutgers, you know, every game is huge. Uh, Rutgers almost played sports to Purdue, to Purdue last night. A huge game, terrible opponent, but a huge game. So I don't know that there's any any games where it's not a, not a big game. I, I know what you're saying, looking for big matchups that could determine things. But, you know, we've seen Duke lose to teams that they shouldn't have lost to this year. Same with North Carolina. So to me, at this point, I, I think every game is huge because we've seen so many upsets of these bigger programs by smaller teams. Rick, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, going into Selection Sunday? Uh, peek into what your thoughts are. We are going to be doing our uh, official brackets as well. Go ahead, Rick. Well, uh, before the tournament, the ACC tournament starts, uh, what, Thursday or something like that. Uh, tonight we have Duke, North Carolina, which could have an impact on a number one, number two seed uh, between those two teams. It just, like Mo said, Duke losing a uh, – close games that the teams that they should be beating, you know, well, tonight's another case. Well, if North Carolina could come into Cameron Indoor tonight, it's still a win. That could – I think Duke is on the uh, bubble being a one or a two. If North Carolina gets a win tonight, I think that might seal the deal, um, making Duke a number two seed, you know, depending on what happens in the tournament next week. So, yeah, a game like that has an implication on the seeding. It's not going to change the thing about their tournament status. So, yeah, you know, games like this and the ACC tournament still coming up, you know, but I, uh, outside the ACC, I feel like Villanova is probably going to be the overall number one. I know Virginia's really awesome, too. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I got Duke, Duke, North Carolina tonight. That's going to have a little bit of an impact on how these uh, seedings are going to come out. Well, absolutely, and we will be doing our balance uh, brackets, uh, so hopefully you guys will grab a – it'll be free, uh, so hopefully you guys will be able to join the, the bracket challenge, uh, the balance official bracket challenge, and we'll see how things come uh, together. Uh, they don't call it March Madness uh, for nothing. Uh, Mo, what are your uh, uh, final thoughts so as far as the Combine, the NFL, uh, any, th- any thoughts that you might have on the NCAA, the, the scandal? Any final thoughts, sir? Well, I mean, it's exciting for these uh, these top three or four teams in the draft. Uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what Cleveland does, especially with them uh, putting it out there the other day that the number one pick uh, is available. Uh, so it makes me think that they do have a quarterback in mind for uh, a free agent quarterback. Uh, you know, and, and will the Colts um, stand pat at three, or will they try to move and maybe try to secure uh, Saquon Barkley? They released Frank Gore the other day. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm very interested for the uh, NFL draft and to see what these top four picks turn out to be. Certainly, and I tell you what, if you are local, I would encourage you to head down to the NFL Experience. It's at the Convention Center, uh, attached to Lucas Oil uh, as well, and uh, check it out. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think the Lions can uh, make some trades here in the draft and uh, pick up Quentin Nelson, Michael Glinchy, Josh Adams, Equinemia, St. Brown. Uh, we'll all be we'll be good to go here as the Lions fans, you know, as Lions and Irish fans. That's, so that's really what I'm looking forward to in the draft this year. <laughs> well, you know, you know, Notre Dame was uh, mentioned in the FBI uh, paperwork as well. Well, not Notre Dame football. <laughs> no, it's not Notre Dame football. And I think, honestly, in, in, all, in all fairness, all joking aside, I think it was just had to do with uh, some inappropriate meals. Have we gotten to the point where you can't buy an athlete lunch? My God. I mean, some of this yeah, is just it was, uh, uh Demetrius Jackson got a uh, taken out to dinner once or twice or something like that, and they equal less than a thousand bucks. And I don't know something, something stupid. They just didn't get dirt on everybody. So I don't even know what the NCAA does. They're like a third. They're, they're not even. They're a third party organization, right? Just handles down discipline or something like that. I mean, I, I don't even know what their job is you anymore, really. You know what? Honestly, I don't think the NCAA had the. They, I think, if you look deep enough, and Mo, maybe get your thoughts on this. If you look deep enough, there might you might find a trail from the NCAA to the FBI. I think the NCAA employed the FBI because they couldn't do their own investigation. They didn't have the resources to do it. I, I don't know, but you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's nothing wrong with a stripper or two. I, I mean, heck, if that's gonna uh, sway me one way or the other. Uh, Whatever, who cares? I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm making a joke. Of course, it, these are serious allegations, I, and I'm not trying to make light of them. But at the same time, Mo, don't you think that now that all this has come out, it really does show the extremes that some of these teams will go to to get some of these athletes, and we wonder why they've got this uh, entitlement god syndrome when they get to school and and to the pros. Go ahead, uh, Mo. Well, they do it two reasons. A, because it, it's one of the biggest money makers for a lot of school, and B, these coaches are making a huge salary and they want to stay employed. But I mean, to me, and I said it for a couple of years now, the NCAA is like a, a sweatshop. They get all kinds of profits and money off of people they aren't paying. So you know, the people that benefit here are the schools and the NCAA. It, the kids make nothing. So it, to me, it, it's been you know like sweatshop work for years. Uh, absolutely. So, oh, I know we only got a couple more minutes here, guys. We're not going to do a balance extra today because we, we've all got some things going on uh, today. today. Uh, you know, certainly, guys. Here's what what's after hanging out a little bit on the uh, NFL Network set on Thursday afternoon. I'm just letting you know that's what's next for us. We're, we're going to the next level. <laughs> oh, well, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It really. Man, I. I I tell you what, you gotta. There's a lot of work that goes into, and they've got a Super Bowl type setup there uh, at the Combine, Mo. And I had an opportunity to meet. I had an opportunity to meet Rich Eisen and some other uh, people there, but it's just really kind of neat to, to see the entire setup. Like I mentioned earlier on in the show, I bet you there was 40 or 50 people in and around that set doing something, producers, uh, cameraman, uh, and then not to mention the, the huge trailers they've got out at uh, Lucas Oil. There, uh, there's at least three or four big satellite trucks in the, and the trailers that they have. It's a huge, huge production that the NFL is doing on, on the NFL Combine to help increase the fan experience. Do you think that, it, that it's actually helping the NFL to do as much broadcasting and fan experience as they are with the NFL Combine? Mo. Oh, yeah, for sure, because you, you're looking to see the future of your team coming up. And, and you're right, it is a huge production. I used to work with a, a traveling 
uh, television production. And, uh, you know, we were 20 semis deep and, you know, a hundred crew members deep and it, it's quite a production when it comes to it. But yeah, I mean, for teams like the Browns and, and, and teams who have been bad this past year that you're looking, you know, at guys to see your future. It, there's a lot of Colts fans tuned in to, to see guys that they're hoping they're going to be Colts this year. So for sure, it's, uh, I'm, I've tuned into it and, and, and let's be honest to watch it, it. It's boring as hell, but you're, you're sitting there with hope going, my God, this guy could be on our team. This could change everything. So, yeah, of course, I think the, this is something that has evolved over the year, and the NFL Network has done their best to try to perfect the coverage and make it more interesting. Rich Eisen and the guys do a great job, and it's uh, it's definitely some musty TV for uh, hardcore football fans. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I have to admit, I was a little bit a little bit starstruck, uh, uh, and to actually be sitting at the same table there, at, in within arm's length of him, and had an opportunity to shake his hand and have a, a brief conversation. I didn't say we we talked forever, but we did have a brief conversation, and he's just really nice and down to earth guy. And you know, I also had an opportunity to meet Frank Reich, and what a nice guy. I mean, he's just like a guy that you would go to church with. I mean, he's just a nice guy. No arrogance about him at all. Uh, neither one of those people. Uh, Rick, what are your final thoughts on uh, Rich Eisen, Frank Reich, uh, our next level to uh, uh, national celebrity showness? <laughs> well, I've never met Rich ahead, Eisen or Frank Reich, but I, but I have met Kane Hodder, who plays Jason Voorhees, and Lee Greenwood. I'm proud to be an American. Hey, Lee Greenwood, there you go, man. Name dropping, name dropping. I'm I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. All right, guys, uh, we gotta we gotta wrap it up. We gotta wrap it up and put a bowl on it. Uh, Mo, where can people find your work and your masterpieces? What are you guys working on? Uh, in the dumpster or probably in hell. Uh, no, it's uh, <laughs> Mo Radio Show on Twitter, and uh, always, man, uh, here every Saturday because this is my my funnest time of the week. I enjoy hanging out with you guys. Rick, it's good to hear you back again. It was fun to talk with Ed and Tom, as always. You're my favorite host. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, all right, buddy. We enjoy it. Uh, Rick, where can people find your work and your masterpieces? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rick and underscore Rick, and you can also find me right here on the Balance Sports Talk Radio. Woo-hoo! Hey, that's right. This is a place to be on a Saturday morning. My name is Tom Mark with Sale President Jay. Make sure you follow us at T-Balance and all of our family of Twitterers. Don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. We do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning between 9 a.m. and 11. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.